Yo, 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 what's up, friends? It's Chase, and I would like to welcome you to another episode of the show, the Chase Jarvis Live Show here on Creative Live. You guys know this is where I sit down with awesome humans, and I unpack their brains with the goal of helping you live your dreams in career, in hobby, and in life. My guest today is a good friend, a gentleman of leisure. His name is Austin Cleon. And I don't know why I said a gentleman of leisure. He is anything but uh, leisurely because he writes like crazy. He is actually, he, he bills himself as a writer who draws. Uh, and he's the best selling author of many illustrated books, a couple of which you will know for sure. One, Newspaper Blackout. Two, a book I very often reference called Steal Like an Artist. And then most recently, Show Your Work. Those are awesome books, all of them. And by the newspaper blackout, you guys know what I'm talking about. He like cuts out a newspaper article and he blacks out the words and makes amazing poems with the words that are not blacked out. And with both Steel Like an Artist and Show Your Work, I've had him on the on the podcast previously. And so what this episode is, is one that was actually a video interview that we did way back early, early uh, Chase Jarvis live show, but never made it to the podcast um, it was pre this podcast. And so I re-listened to that the other day and it's just unbelievable. It's amazing. And so many folks uh, in this day and age, we are influenced by the creators around us, by pop culture, by all the influences. And yet there's a hesitancy on being inspired because we don't want to quote copy. And there's all kinds of great stories and anecdotes about the folks who are absolute masters, Andy Warhol, Pablo Picasso talks about stealing other people's work all the time. And you've heard me on the show and others and other places out there in the world talk about if you rip off one person that's stealing, if you steal from everyone, that's called research. So in this conversation with Austin, we focus on that. And I mean, this guy's everywhere. Okay, he's, um, <laughs> what can I say? He, so he lives in Texas and he's a really cool, chill guy. You know, he's all always popping up on like the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times. And, you know, this will be his, I think, second or third time on the show on Chase Jarvis Live. Anyway, I, I can't wait for you to get into the show. He's a quote factory. He talks about like holding up in libraries. He used to work at a library and he's just a, um, <laughs> a quote bomb in and of itself. I can't wait for you to tune in this episode. You're going to love it. And remember, stealing is bad. But taking reference from art that you see out in the world or from products, for example, if you're a product designer, that is research. Everything is a remix. And the concept that you're sitting at home trying to do something that no one has ever done before you is just fiction. None of the best product designers, creators, makers, they do that. They, none of them sit around and just say, I'm only going to put this out if it's entirely 100% original. Because A, the chances of you doing something completely original are almost non-existent. But more importantly, B, like how can you take something that you see out there very, very ready-made? How can you put your stamp on it and then put it out there in the world? That, among many other things, is the focus of this episode. And it is pure gold. So let's get into the show, shall we? Uh, before we do, a quick word from our sponsor. This episode of Chase Jarvis Live Show is brought to you by Creative Live. Creative Live is the world's largest and best platform for creative and entrepreneurial education. And right now you're saying, wait a minute, isn't that the company that you started? Yes, it is. It is my company, but they make this show 
possible. And if you don't know anything about Creative Live, you must check it out. It's where Pulitzer Prize winners, New York Times bestsellers, the best of the best teach photo, video, art design, music and audio, craft and maker, and the ability to make a living and a life in all of those disciplines. There is free content there 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and there's also more than 10,000 hours of content for you to access on demand. You guys know I'm a huge believer in the power of daily habits, and today Creative Live, as a part of the sponsor announcement, wants you to know that they have a new, very powerful way to make education a part of your daily routine. That would be the Creative Live iPhone, iPad, and Apple TV apps. They're all free, and they let you watch all of the Creative Live classes that are on air streaming for free, anything you already own, and on the iPhone and iPad apps, you can watch one daily lesson of your choosing for free. That is one of 25,000 lessons for free, which is super, <laughs> super gnarly. To get those apps, go to the App Store, uh, iTunes, and search Creative Live, or go to creativelive.com slash apps. There you go. Now, let's get into the show. Please join me in welcoming Austin Cleon. Woo! Hey, buddy. Please. Man, you sit down first. That's, All right. what, that's how it's supposed to be. All the way from Texas. Yes. Welcome. No. Yeah. All the way from Texas. It's so green here. No. <laughs> um. Thank you very much. For, for joining us today, man. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. So, it really is green here. <laughs> really green. Seattle, one of the greenest places <laughs> on earth. Um, man, so I don't even know where to start. Uh, I feel like one of the reasons that I wanted you on the show, um, and again, we're very picky about our guests, you know that, but one of the reasons that I wanted you is because I feel like, in addition to having written Steel Like an Artist, um, you have some things figured out that a lot of creatives don't. And I know you would, you would say, oh, shucks, I don't got them figured out. I got the same problems everybody else got. But I feel like you do. And one of those is how you sort of, like, it's, it's very much about process. Yeah. Like you, that's one of the things that we always, I, go, I go, get to go out to dinner with my guests the night before, and we talk about the show, and sometimes have uh, some cocktails. Um, and in the process, I learned a lot about process, and specifically your process. So why don't you open the show by telling me a little bit about you and your process, because I think it's special and very indicative of the how, it's a great model, if you will. I'm so boring, <laughs> you know? I mean, I think that we have this image of artists as these people who are constantly out carousing and drinking. Jim Morrison. Yeah, you know? Uh, you know, putting themselves into early graves. I am the most routine, boring person. You know, like my days look very, very similar. And so um, I find that's the, you know, I, I, I always like to think that creativity and making art and stuff, it just takes a lot of energy. And you don't have that energy if you waste it on other things. So I find that the more boring my life, <laughs> the better the, the art. The better the art. Okay, so there's <laughs> a follow-on. No, that's, a good, it's a, that's interesting because there's a great follow-on question, which is mostly art tends to, you know, the inspiration for one's art comes ideally from one's own life and one, or one's own connection to events out in the world. So if you're advocating sort of a boring life, which I think there's a little bit of, you know, theater in the word boring. Yeah. Um, so why don't you clear up that theater for me and talk about how 
if, if you're living a boring life, how you actually, like, what is the, the process for extracting inspiration and, and the core of your work? Yeah, I mean, I, when I mean boring, I mean you sit down in the same place every day and you do the work, you know? So you've got your time, space, and your materials. And so for me, that is, you know, I mean, it's a little bit different for me just because I have a, you know, depending on what you have going on. Right. You know, like right now I'm writing a book, so uh, I'm actually in the illustration phase right now. So, um, you're a am writer I who draws. Am to look at you or them, or does it matter? I think it doesn't matter. Okay, I like the question because these are these. The, because the, no, I feel like I need to talk to you. Good. Yeah, you talk to yeah, uh, yes. us. How would a Texan <laughs> say y'all us? Y'all. You would say all y'all. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, Talk to all y'all. Right. Man. No, but for me, I mean, it's very simple. It's about it's it's uh, um, it's about having the time, space, and materials, and having a kind of repeatable process. And for me, like um, for me, like very simply, when I'm doing my newspaper blackout work, where I take a marker to the newspaper, this stuff in my first book. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> That's, you know, I've got my stack of newspapers, I've got my markers, I've got my desk, and every day at the same time I put my kid down for a nap, and I do my little meditation, which yeah. we might talk about later. You should. And I sit down and I make a poem, and I do that every day. Every day I'm home, anyway. Wow. You know, and it's just like, you do one stupid little poem every day, and it doesn't feel like much, you know? Like, one day it'll suck, one day it'll be really good. But you know, you do one a day for 365 days, and you've got a book full. You got a body of work. And yeah. You've got a, like there's some sort of there's a this this act of sitting down and doing it. I think it was Chuck Close, the famous painter and photographer, who said that if I only did work when I was inspired, I wouldn't have very much work. Yeah. And yet he, he said, is unbelievably. Pro, you have yeah. He said inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us sit down and get to work. And that's yeah. That's, that's I feel like that's that's a really important takeaway. Yeah. And it's. I think what I want to do for a second is that the, the audience is a global audience. We've probably got 130 countries tuning in right now. And not everyone in the audience is a writer. Like you call yourself a writer who draws, which I think is a cool thing. Um, so a lot of us, because that's sort of my core background, is are photographers. And the same thing applies. I would say that it's, it's like it's about taking pictures every day, right? Traveling around with your camera. That's one of the beautiful things about us having a camera in our pocket. The best camera is the one that's with you. Uh, and I think that where, whether you're a photographer or writer, there probably is something that you should, should and can do every single day. And that's, I feel like there's this big vision when I'm a creative and I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna make, you know, I'm gonna make my film, make my whatever, and that it's all about the big vision and making the big thing happen. Yeah. So talk to me about how does that reconcile with these do small things? Well, small things get big over time. You know, I mean, you if do watered, a, right? If watered, <laughs> if, or if, if watered, yeah. You know, it was funny the other day. Um, uh, oh, I forget which writer it was. Uh, he said, "You know, you put a drop in the bucket every day. It doesn't seem like much, but you do it every day for a year, and you got some water in it." And then all these smart asses on Twitter were like, "No, you wouldn't. It would evaporate." <laughs> <laughs> you know, but so I, I like to think, oh well, you put one little Lego block. You know, you put your one little Lego block down, and then you add another one, and then you just pile it then up. Then you pretty pretty soon you got the Millennium Falcon. Then you, exactly, <laughs> you got your you know Wonderland or whatever. But 
yeah, I mean, it's, it's small things get big over time. Isn't that what happened with newspaper blackout? Talk to me about yeah. that. Like, if I'm not mistaken, this was a side project that ultimately turned into your breakout thing. That was the thing that separated you from the, the, you know, the signal from the noise, if you will, that separated you yeah. as an artist from your peers. Yeah, so I mean, newspaper blackout started on accident. Like, I think a lot of, I've, I've talked to so many people who are, you know, in similar situations as me, and it, it was all random, you know? Uh, very few, I mean, they all wanted to be artists, or sure. everybody wants to, you know, everybody, you've got that dream in your head, you know, but you're not really sure where you're how you're gonna get there. And, but, but for me, it was a complete accident. I mean, I just, I was trying to be a writer, I started a blog, and everybody knows like when you start a blog, the first problem is what the hell do I put in it? Right, second problem right? is that who reads it? Who reads it? But um, for me it was just like, I, I, had, I had this huge stack of newspapers in the recycle bin because I've always been a subscriber to newspapers. And I was l just sitting there staring at my Microsoft Word cursor. <laughs> and, and like the Microsoft Word cursor is really funny, it, it, it just blinks. You know, it's it, like a it, taunt it worked. It after works. a while. What? It works. I, what I do you mean? I oh, that, oh. I thought that uh, Microsoft stuff didn't work as well. As oh. <laughs> <laughs> we won't go sorry. there. But sorry, anyway, sorry. so, you know, you're sitting in front of this blank Microsoft Word screen, and just I'm thinking, I have no words. And, you know, I'm just looking over at this recycle bin, like, there's a million of them. Why don't I? Maybe I could borrow a few, <laughs> right? So um, I, they really started out as, like a, as just a writing exercise. I mean, I really thought I was just kind of circling things and, and, and just trying to get ideas for real writing. Right. That's, and, and that's actually something that's been true throughout my little humble career is that you don't know what the big stuff is going to be. Like there's a lot of people, especially authors, they make the distinction between like typing into a box on Twitter and then typing into a box in Microsoft Word. And to me, there's no distinction because you don't know what little thing that you do is going to turn into something bigger. You know, a tweet turns into a blog tag, which turns into a book chapter. Yep. You know, so anyway. No, I, I feel like I, I have experienced that same thing. And so I'm going to validate it with my own experience, which is that I've spent my whole career making stuff and going around the world shooting ad campaigns for some of the bigger brands on the planet, and some of the things that have been the most explosive for me personally were things like the, the, uh, the iPhone app, Best Camera, and writing the first book of, of mobile phone pictures, trying to kick yeah. that whole thing off, and that was completely on accident. That was a side passion away from all of the real work that I was doing. You know, 45 people go to New Zealand for three weeks to take two pictures. And yet, one of the things that I'm most proud of in my career is recognizing that these little things that we carry around in our pockets, you know, this was a ticket to being massively differentiated in my industry. So I feel like th those things are true. And, this, it, that and that's everyone, too. It's not just photographers. Like, I would really like more artists to kind of tune into. You're carrying a multimedia studio around in your pocket. Yep. You know, I mean, you really... If we can get like a spray paint to come out of this thing, we've got it all figured I out. I mean, right? yeah. I mean, but you're, you're, I mean, it's a copy machine. It's a research tool. I mean, I don't even scan a lot of my poems. And, I mean, you know, now I sit down, I do the poem, I take the picture, 
you know, I mess with the levels. There's even like, there's, there's apps now. I think there's an app called Snapseed that I just throw it in uh -huh. and make the levels all black and white. And then I just post it and it's there. It's like, there's no, you know, there's no barrier between like actually making the piece and then sharing it with everyone. Yeah. And that's just never been, no artist has had that. That's just, unless you're like in a park somewhere doodling in front of other people, that's right. just never been a possibility before. And for me, there's a kind of weird intimacy from making one of those poems and like posting it on Instagram and immediately people see it yeah. and people start, As know, opposed to keeping the work locked in, yeah. you know, locked in your bedroom or under your bed or in your basement where no one no one's going to experience it. Yeah, because uh, the other thing is, you know, we're supposed to sit on our work. You know, we're supposed to make the stuff and then sit on it and see if it's good later. And in my experience, I'm not really a great judge of which poems people are actually going to respond to. Like a lot of times when I make a poem, I might think it's kind of crappy. I might just be like, oh, well, this is a toss up. But you know what? This is this is the work for yeah. today and I post it, and then that's the one that everyone's like, I need a print of this. I wanna hang this on my wall, you know? And so that's the thing you have to understand about the, the whole process of art or the work that we do is that you're only half of the equation. I mean, you're, it's an interaction between you and the person that's going to experience the work. And the person that's going to experience the work is bringing just as much to it and is just as important as you are. Right now, someone's reducing that to 140 characters and hitting send. Because <laughs> that's, that's, that's brilliant. And are we done here? OK, <laughs> I would see it. No, but the, I think there's a really interesting takeaway from there, which is that without that other side of the equation, so if you're not making work and sharing it, you're literally missing out on 50% of the experience. Because like you said, that, and, and this is a little hint to the future, right? You want to talk about that for a second? Sure, yeah. We can, we can talk okay, about so that. Okay, the, so the hint um, is that his next book is coming out in the spring, and it's about exactly this. So fill me in. So the next book is called Show Your Work. It's kind of an echo of your like middle school math teacher. And the whole, you know, the real, the idea of the book is that the process, traditionally in art and creative work, the process has been something that you keep hidden. The process is something that you keep to yourself that's not important to anyone other than you. And the product of your work. So when we talk about work, let's take a painter. When a painter talks about their work, there's the process of the work. There's the you know, getting inspiration, preparing canvases, applying paint to the canvas, finding a gallery, starting the show, hanging the paintings, all that stuff. Yep. That's the process. And the final product is the painting hand hanging on the wall. Now, you know, if you read a lot of art books and that, that sort of thing, traditionally the process you keep secret, you keep it to yourself, and all that matters is the product, the thing hanging on the wall. Well, everyone I look up to now, uh, like online or just out there now, they're just as good about sharing their process as they are sharing their products. And you would happen to be one of them. I would. Right. That, that's, I think, the reason that I'm sitting here on this couch right now is because I experienced what it was like to share your work. Unfortunately for me, I was at first vilified because it was pretty early in this whole sharing process. But I learned a lot from that, and I realized how, how quickly it differentiated me from, from the other folks. It's not so easy now because that's sort of more of a more expected. But 
the right. idea that your audience participates in your growth with the artist. Mm -hmm. I mean, how many bands, like they turn to their fans to raise music to make the albums, and there's this sort of collaborative spirit now, which I think completely transcends all of the art before it. Now, now it's, it's much more of a participatory, experiential process than, than it ever was. Well, and I, I think that what I like about the world and that way of, what I like about that way of being is what it means is that people who aren't even that good necessarily have something to contribute. That's me. That might, well, it's <laughs> me too though. I mean, you know, when I was, I mean, I remember, um, you know, when I was first starting out, I wanted to be a writer, right? So it's just like, what, what should I do to try to engage in this world of words? Well, one of the things that I would do is I would go to readings and I'd sit there with my sketchbook and I would draw the writer when they were, and I would take notes and I would take note of, you know, what their process was or the little sound bites. This is pre-Twitter, you know, yeah. so I would try to do these notes where, you know, I'd try to make them look kind of cool and then I would post them on my blog. And that was my way of learning in public in a way. I knew I didn't have work that I could offer people yet that was good, that was, you know, I, I knew I was at Michael Shabon, you know, I, I didn't have the, the writing that, that was gonna be, you know, to offer to the world. But what I did have was I was studying yeah. good writing and then I could share that with people. And I think a lot of people, you know, they started following me just because they were like, well, this guy's just kind of, you know, he just, he's learning and he's taking us along. And even yeah. if he's not that good, he's interested in cool stuff. And so I feel like some people have kind of followed me uh, because of the, you know, the studying I'm doing, because yeah. I'm a good student yeah. and I'm good about sharing what I'm learning. And then along the way, I've gotten better and had some work finally that maybe they were interested in. Mm -hmm. I mean, I we're living in a world right now where you might not even like an artist's work, but there's a hell of a lot to learn from them. Yep. Because, I mean, I know some, you know, I can, I'm not gonna name them, <laughs> but, you know, there's some people that I don't even really, like, I wouldn't hang their stuff on the wall, but I find that absolutely fascinating. And I follow them online, and I think their ideas are great. And one day, what, from a marketing perspective, mm -hmm. from, a, from a kind of, you know, business standpoint, one day they'll make something that resonates with me and then they'll have me because oh. I've been following them, you yeah, know? It's as if publicly sharing your process is a part of the future of creativity. I think it is because I think everyone wants to be part of it. Yeah. You know, I think that everybody there's likes... There's a movement feeling, right? And yeah. There's a connection between what it is. We, we're, we're fundamentally, I hope, human <laughs> and the, the connection between us is so strong. I feel like we all feel isolated in that we are, we're the only person to have this sort of a problem or struggle with this. And, and I think when you're sharing your work, basically this sort of um, your process, if you will, that it breaks down some of those barriers between me and you, us and them, uh, fan and, and artist or, you know, I f do you agree with that? Absolutely, I think it all comes down to what you believe about creativity. The traditional way of thinking about creativity is that there's some special person was put on this earth, you know, right. that came from Krypton or whatever, you know, just like <laughs> dropped on, on earth that has a special connection to the, you know, the muse, or God, or whatever, 
and they are just a lightning rod, and they get struck by lightning, and they take the inspiration, and it just flows out through the hands, and they make a finished masterpiece, and then the rest of they hand it to the rest of us, and we're all just like, oh, you know, <laughs> that's your typical. Yeah, that is the. That is the typical way we. That's yeah. genius. Uh -huh. That's how we think about genius. Now, there's another way of thinking about creativity, that the musician Brian Eno calls genius. And the idea behind Senius is that every one of those people that we think of, yes, they're extremely talented. And uh, yes, they work very hard. But they are part of a network in of, of inspiration or context or whatever. You know, they're, they're a part of um, a scene. Yep. And, and a lot of their work is the result of being connected to other minds. And uh, there's a guy named Steven Johnson who wrote a book called uh, Where Good Ideas Come From. And he's written a lot about that. And Brian Eno's lectures on the topic are really great. Yeah, he's, he's brilliant. But I'm obviously, I think we're living in an age in which seniors is everywhere. Yeah. I mean, the internet, I'm pointing to a tablet, the internet. <laughs> this, you know, you know, the internet is just a bunch of seniors connected to each other, divorced from geography. I would like to turn to the in-studio audience for a second, because they sort of represent the internet, and find out what, uh, what you guys would like to ask Austin. I think we've got a microphone, if uh, hand up, who's got a question? I, I asked you guys to prepare some questions. Who's, who, didn't, who didn't follow instructions? Jeff, you got a, you got a uh, microphone right there? Who's just glazed over? Yeah, right here oh, in front. We, yeah, no. It's just the, the first question is the one that breaks the seal. It's sort of like when you use the bathroom the first time. You know? That is true. That's right. Um, so yeah, go ahead and um, yeah. Okay. Um, when you went to release your first book, um, how did you go about doing that? Was it self-published? Did you have it published? What kind of made you decide that it was time to turn it into a book? And how did you follow through with that? I was very young, and I will use the word callow. Um, I just, um, basically what happened is I owe, I probably owe Jason Kopke a firstborn or something, you know, because <laughs> he's back Owen. there. Owen's I'm not going to give him to him. He's already got kids. He doesn't want another kid. But, um, you know, to, uh, Jason picked it up. And it was on a few big blogs. And it just kind of, you know, and I think about 2008, things really blew up. And I just heard from an editor at HarperCollins. She just said, have you ever thought about turning it into a book? And I said, hell yeah, I've thought about turning it into a book. Now, I, can, we, can we unwind this for a second? Because sure. how did, how did through, it was through kotki.org is his blog. Right, right? yeah. So how, let, let's actually do the math of how it happened. How, go back you, in the you steps. You got a like call from he, an editor. You know, that's right. how a lot of stuff happens. You just, people seek you out. But how so, do they seek you out? So I think what happened is I was real, I mean, my readership was really slow, you know, just really slow to build. And honestly, it's not I, slow. I, no, no, not slow, slow. It's just slow building. Okay. Um, and honestly, you know, I'm not someone who has the really raw numbers that some people do online. Like, yeah. I don't have the just, what I have is I think I have an awesome audience and I have very um, just really awesome people that, that feed me just as much as I feed them. That's a beautiful know? relationship. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> but I mean, it was really slow. I don't know how Jason saw it, but basically what happens is like, you know, Jason blogged about it. And then I think like BuzzFeed in their infancy 
picked it up, and then um, I think an NPR reporter saw it, and we were on Morning Edition. Okay, so so, the, so let's it, unwind this for a second. But what happens if he's sitting on the work? Nothing happens. Right. None of that happens if you're not sharing the stuff that you're making on a regular basis. I never ever, I never submitted newspaper blackout as a book proposal to a publisher. Now, what I, in hindsight, <laughs> I will be, you know, now I have an agent and, you know, we are, I have an awesome publisher right now, Workman Publishing. They're an independent publisher. They've been around forever. They've published 40 books a year. I have a very close relationship with them now. And um, I'm still in that traditional publishing world. And there are, it's, it's a match made in heaven because Workman does the, I'm talking shop here. So, <laughs> you know, Workman, does, they get the books in the bookstores. They make the beautiful book and they get it in the bookstores. And then I do all the online stuff that I do, that I can handle. And so it's a real match made in heaven as far as that goes. But I also now have an agent that takes care of me and like, you know, do, we do the business. But you know, in hindsight, my advice to young people, I had a great, I mean, I had a great run with, with Harper Perennial. Um, but you know, my advice to young people is when one person bites, other people will bite. Once one person starts biting, then it's time to take, get your business affairs in order. Yes. And then, because if one editor writes from a publisher, that probably means you could probably talk another editor into another publishing house. It's the same thing, let me take a second and apply that to some other industries because there's a whole range of creatives. That is exactly how it happens. If you got one art director, if you're a photographer, you got one magazine, that GL extra stuff, it's probably time to realize that there are other people who will like your work too because it's, it's reached some critical mass where people outside your family and friends are recognizing it and now that's like a great signal to move forward. To and, up your game. Yeah, and notice you know? this is a professional person. It's not like if your mom likes it, then you're ready for the big time. Yeah. But if it's a, a professional editor or, in the, or an art director from an agency or something, then you should consider stepping it up. I think that's great. Yeah, but I will say, I mean, you know, I think your first book is usually a trial run in a weird way. Um, but it's funny how newspaper blackout, it still had a life and there's rumors that we might finally put out an ebook. <laughs> because when this came out, it's kind of funny because like, um, you know, they're all images. So they're not really, when this first came out, like we were just like ebooks, who gives a crap about ebooks? Like who would ever want to look at that on, an e on a I buy nine, e nine out of the 10 books that yeah. I buy are electronic. And now they could handle it, yeah. you know? So that's another thing that, you, you know, there's so much more that we have to deal with now. Right. You know, and, and that's, as an artist, now it's like, you don't know what context your work's gonna be in. True. You know, it But might it doesn't be... matter, like, uh, the, like figuring out all the context. Like, there's this thing that I'm going through right now that I'm naturally, I wanna see the path. I, I always talk about building something with the end in mind. But don't worry about if the end is different than what you believe it to be. The most important part is taking the first step, and the second step, and the third step. And it's sort of as long as you're on the path. The path can change, but regardless if it changes, you're always on that path. And that path is the thing that brings you happiness, that's making your art, that, that you yeah. know, I, I, I believe deeply in that. Um, that was a great question. A really question. There's another Thanks. question right over here, and then I'm going to go to the internet. So I got uh, I got a whole line of questions pouring in on the information superhighway. Again, I'm Chase Jarvis, sitting here, Mr. Austin Klein. If you're just now joining us, welcome. 
Hi, thanks for your book and your work, and I'm excited to be here and nervous. Good. Um, nervous I, is good. Uh, <laughs> Don't be nervous. I'm standing here. Ah, <laughs> yes. Um, um, I have a question about being new uh, yes. in a new process, and you're talking about um, showing your work as you're going because you're missing if you're sitting on work. I am really inspired by a, a, a new process, and it's it's taking some time, and it's it's heavily inspired by artists who are very uh, popular and well known in this medium. Steal it. Steal it. Sorry. I know, but uh, am I showing it as I'm stealing it? Do I give credit as I'm stealing it? Do I send this a love a letter or a thank question. you note to the artist that I'm absolutely ripping off? Okay. And can I show uh, this work? This is this is a good question. Can I hang it up in, in the gallery? This is you're about to get. This is one of the reasons that I love bringing guys like Austin on, guys and gals, to sit on this couch because that question is in the minds of tens of thousands of artists all around the world every single day and you're gonna get the answer right now I so I have a gut check for theft which is you break down in an elevator with the person you're taking influence from you break down as in like <laughs> no the elevator breaks down okay good <laughs> and you're in there do you do they punch you in the face or do they say yeah, good job. You know, that's that's good stuff. Because if you're doing it right, what you're doing is you're taking your influences and you're stealing them, but you're mixing them in with your own with a you know, you're not stealing from one, you're stealing from many. There's their great line, if you steal from uh, steal from one author, it's plagiarism. If you steal from a hundred authors, it's research. You know, so it's like someone's tweeting that right now. <laughs> so you know, it's, it's very much, what, what I would err on the side of is how you're studying them. Because I, I think that, you know, when I was starting out and there were the people that I was, you know, ripping off and incorporating into my style, the way I handled it was I just wrote about their work. And I just wrote about what I found really interesting about it and, uh, you know, tried to share and just give them as much credit as possible. Yeah. This, this is one of the parts that I wanted to highlight. There's this acknowledgement, this, this, uh, this a high five, if you will, a respect to the folks that have come before you. And whether or not uh, you ever come face to face with these people, talking about your learning is a part of that process of sharing that I think validates the ideas becoming your own. He said something great at dinner last night, which is I do something and I'm taking inspiration from someone, I'll talk about that process, and in sort of talking about it and sharing it and having the world have sort of a dialogue with me about it, it either dies or it makes me want to go deeper. So that is that was one of the things that I promised you all I would get Austin to talk about, is how do you, how do you make something your own? And right. I feel like this is, this, this dialogue yeah. and adventure is what allows you to make the work your own. And and that's and you know that that's people see the steal and they forget the like an artist part, <laughs> you know. I mean, an artist an artist takes their influences and they turn them into something new. That is the most important part. That's actually the definition of creativity, right? Taking yes. raw material and refining it and making something. The raw material might be the 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 photographer sitting next to you, might be the writer that has inspired you, might be Melville, might be. Uh, any sort of thing. And I would stress what, I would stress the kind of combinatorial 
aspect of it, which is the more, the more you smash together, the, the, the better the reaction gets. You know, so the more influence, that's why it's important not to just study one artist, but to study, you know, I talk in the book, one of the things that really helped me as I was going along is, um, and it's actually, one of my buddies, I asked him, you know, we're a few years out of college, and I said, you know, how are you, because um, he didn't go to grad school and I didn't go to grad school, so when we got out of undergrad, you know, we would email each other and say, so what are you doing? Hey, what are you doing, man? You know, and one of the things he told me, um, my, my buddy Brandon Abood, he said, um, oh, well, what I'm doing is I'm reading, I'm reading one author's work and I'm reading everything. So he'd be like, I'm reading uh, Flannery O'Connor or something. Okay. And I read everything of hers. And then I figured out who she read and I read everything of that person. And he was talking about building this kind of family tree. So he would pick one influence that he was really, you sure. know, had a, had a boner for. And, you know, you find, find that person that you're really into, and then you find out who they were into, and then you just move up as far as you can. And what you do that way is you almost get a whole survey of your field but it's very precise, yeah. and you build your own kind of creative lineage. And what happens when you do that is you just have a lot more to pick from. And when you do that, you also see where the style has come from. Because I think a lot of people, you don't want to steal the style, you want to th steal the thinking behind the style. Bingo. You don't want to look like your heroes, you want to see like your heroes. Bingo. It's the machine right here, Austin Kleon, just cranking out the tweets. Like, <laughs> and, but those are, those are so succinctly put, and so what I believe spot on for the, the key that's missing, especially for younger artists who are sort of trying to find their way in the world, those two are critical distinctions, I think, for stealing like an artist. And, and to talk about the steal thing just for a second, and then I keep promising I've got like a bazillion tweets coming in, I'm sorry I'm not getting to those, but the steal like an artist thing, it is very, it's an evocative title. If it just said, uh, study who you like, you know, it's probably not gonna sell a lot of copies, but yeah. stealing, and let's just be clear, so yes, it's an evocative title, but this is a known thing. Like it's, it's basically take from one and you're stealing, take from many and you're doing research. Picasso talks about it, Warhol talks about it. All of the great artists have used reference material. That is why it's called reference material, right? That's, that's, that's a known thing. Yeah, people ask me all the time, why do you have to use the word steal? You know, why it was can't on, the you just say on my blog and, the, and the Facebook and Twitter this morning, I was just like, Come on, people. Why can't you, why can't you Stealing, just, bad. Why can't you just say influence? And I'm like, because I'm not very original. <laughs> and I, 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 you know, I mean, this whole book, honestly, this, like, this book, so this book started this as book. a, yeah, Still Like an Artist started as a talk I gave to um, a community college in upstate New York. And, um, but what the talk came from was, I am a quote collector, kind of like Ryan Holiday, who yep. you had on the show. I keep Love kind Ryan. of a, I kind of keep like a commonplace book type thing like he does, where I, I, collect, I'm a, I collect quotes. That's like a big thing. And I just noticed that I just had this huge file of artists using the word steal. I mean, I just had like 
50 to 100 quotes yeah. of all these famous people. Woody Allen, you know, and it's not like they're nobodies. Right. You know, Woody Allen goes up and says, I'm a shameless thief. I've stolen from the best, you know. And, and it's just this long list, and I'm thinking, what's going on here? You know, and that's oh, yeah. the kind of pattern recognition that comes from, you know, devouring as much as you possibly can all the time. We're going to get back to that devouring yeah. for a second, because i got to go to the phones. The, li the list of questions <laughs> is way too long. Um, but there's a couple good ones. One I think is in particularly interesting, at Ivy Gel says, how do you decide which parts of your creative process you share and what do you keep private? So yeah. well, we've touched on it a little bit, but give me the sort of the nuts and bolts, the shortest answer you can, because I want people to take some really tangible stuff away. Interesting or helpful? If you share the parts that are going to be interesting or yep. helpful. Anything you share online. Anything you share, you know, anything you share, period, I think you either share something that's interesting or helpful. You either share something that's going to make people go, oh, whoa, or you're going to make something, share something that someone's going to go, oh, yeah, you know? Right. Or retweet or whatever. Or, or, and, and I think that, um, you know, that's, for me, now it's like, oh, well, okay, well, what makes something interesting or what sure. makes something useful? Well, you just have to kind of go with your gut. Yeah. Because a lot of times, Your I think... Your audience will tell you, too. They will. Because they'll be retri by, yeah. by sort of the digital applause. If that's valuable to them, they'll let you know via retweeting or comments or, or thumbs up or what. You know? I personally think that you... It, what, what it's... Imp I mean, I think for me, my gut is just... If I, if I share things that I think are genuinely useful or interesting, then those things will attract the kind of people that I'm trying to reach. Mm -hmm. They will attract my people. Yeah. You know, I think Henry Miller said something like, part of the act in creating is discovering your own kind. Yep. And that's how I felt. I felt like by putting this stuff out in the world, by sharing the stuff I like, by making the work that I like, it gathers the people towards me. It gathers, yes. you know, it gathers the people that I, I've always wanted to meet, you know. I got another question for you. At R4MK says, where do personal projects come into play when you're just starting up? Personal projects. And I, I, I think it's the reason I chose this of the hundreds of questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So A, it's all personal. Yeah. And if it's not, then there's something wrong with your work. Well, not, I, not that there's something yeah. wrong with it in the classic sense, but there's something wrong with sort of the, your thinking about your work. Because that, it, it should be something that's personal. I think, you know, I had a day job for a really long time. And I'm, I mean, that's one of the things that I've always, you know, I'm, I'm very much a person that's like, if you can't, do something, um, I think side projects are super, super important, and all of my work yeah. was a side project that turned into the main gig. Your next thing is your current side project. Would you, like, it's been true for me. Yeah. I mean, what I, think is, what I think is good is if you can, it's hard, especially in like the creative fields, you want to work places that actually encourage that yep. because the really good shops will they know like the really interesting creative directors that I ever met were totally fine with you doing something on the side because they knew that it just made them look good I think the old model was very much like you're you're in the studio you're mine and you do all this put work. your ass there if and you're you touch yeah. your fingers on the keys and, and if you're doing something outside of work that means you're not giving me 125 percent when i'm at work yeah. but the bottom line is the really good shops i think are going to encourage people to do things on the side for one thing just because it makes the shop look better i mean it makes the business look better when you have people 
the people who work for you, they are your business. Yep. And so you want them doing interesting things. You want them doing things that feed them on the weekends or at night so they can come in and do their Refreshed work. And, yeah, yeah. and you know, I mean, the, it's not, creativity is not like something you're gonna like run out of. Yep. If anything, I think the more you work, the more, the more you got going on. I, I feel like that's a great case. I've always said sort of ideally you're not just better, but you're different than others in your field. And part of the ways that I've expressed my difference is by doing radically different side projects. Not, you know, like sitting down with famous musicians and, and having dinner and recording it and sharing it. Now I'm a photographer and a director, and that is, it was a deeply personal project called Songs for Eating and Drinking. I got so many calls inbound from the biggest and best agencies in the world because it was something they hadn't seen before, and then they were doing the work saying, if he's doing this, he'll definitely, this would be something he would be into. And so I just get inbound interest from ad agencies and whatnot all over the world for doing the thing that, like this is a personal passionate project, and the, it unlocks you from most of your peers, your cohort, because it stands out as so different. It's not just, I went out and I shot another test with another model that looks marginally the same, or yeah. just a little bit different than the last one, and I mail that out. Like that is, that different is here, different is not here. And, and that's something that's really mis misunderstood about the Steel Like an Artist stuff, which is, that's what you're trying to get to. By studying, you're trying to, by studying and stealing, you're trying to see what these people didn't do and where the gaps are that you could fill. Oh, wow. <laughs> okay. Uh, but look what my hands are, you know, but, um, you know, you're- Hold those still. Okay, right. I'm going no, I'm to, ooh, sorry, mom. Uh, now, uh, but, you know, you're looking for the voids to fill with your own work. And that's something that I'm always like, you know, you want to look at your heroes and figure out what didn't they do? Like, or, or if they all got together and jammed, what would they make? Yep. And that's your job. Your job is to do the work that you want to see done. Yes. And, and, and so for me, a lot of that comes from being a fan. You know, I'm a fan of all this stuff. I would love to see someone, you know, you're like, okay, well, I, what if, uh, you know, what if this dude got together with this dude and this, you know, and they made something. That's my job. Because yep. I've got them in my head. I've got them in my family tree. I can put them together. I love you know. it. I'm going to go back to the loo, blah, 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 live in studio audience for another, I'm not going to go to the loo. That means something different. I'm going to go back to the live in studio audience uh, for another question. And it's going to go to you, good sir, right there in the plaid with the microphone in hand. Thank you. Austin, what would you change to steal like an artist after post-production, if anything, and why? Oh, wow. So the book, like the actual book? Um, I think, you know, Steel was done really fast. And part of what I like, I mean, we did this book in about two months, which is just, you Nuts, know. Yeah. I mean, a lot of the material was already there because it was a talk. And I, honestly, it's only a 10,000 word book. Um, but it, it like doubled in length. I think, you know, there are some illustrations that I, that I wish I'd, you know, maybe spend a little bit more time on. The illustrations for me are always, uh, I think because they come, last in the process, you know, they're the last thing that I do. Those are always the ones that I second guess the most because the, the writing is kind of the roadmap and it's the blueprint. But, um, you know, there's some, there are some illustrations that I'm like, oh, you know, I, I could fix that. But that's, <laughs> a book is kind of a, it's kind of a moment in time in your thinking, you know? Like, I mean, when you, when you make a book, 
And that's going to change with eBooks because yeah, sure. the ability to kind of like constantly change and tweak and you know fix things um, is going to change the whole process of doing books. But um, you got to take the imperfections are also what makes it cool, you know. And it also gives you something to be ashamed of, so that you can do <laughs> something new. That I'm telling you, that is like really underrated right. yeah. as far as creative work goes. It's yeah. like you got to have something to be ashamed of yeah. that you can cover up later with your better work. Because yeah. uh, otherwise, what's the point, right? <laughs> right? If it's perfect, you're like, okay, I'm done now. I go go move to Hollywood Hills and you know whatever. In in creating uh, my first book on mobile photography, which is the first of its kind. Same form factor, a little bit thicker, a couple hundred pages. Uh, I have that same sort of anxiety about it, um, being really early on in that, um, the mobile photography movement. The pictures were all taken with iPhone 1, most of them, one, uh, one or two, before there were any apps. And so relative to what's possible now, it is just archaic. It's in the, it's, it was when it was like one meg, one or two megapixels, right? And yeah. the sensor chip and all that stuff was terrible. So from a technology standpoint, like, oh, you know, I, I just go, hmm, I laugh. I, but it's the ideas in this thing. It's that it is a snapshot in time that matters. And now I look back and I, I get to, I feel, I've overcome the sort of the anxiety around not having it live in, in the present or the future. and. It actually feels good because, like you said, there's some motivation, but there's also this, that part of me is, was then, and you get to do something now. It's like when your, your favorite band doesn't necessarily want to play their hit song again or whatever, you get to think about what they're, getting, what they're going to deliver to the world next, which is, in my mind, more exciting. The author, Mary Carr, she's so, oh, she's such a great follow. And she's, her books are just fantastic. She's, she's a Texan, native Texan, not, not like me at Does she say y'all? She, I think probably, but Mary Carr, and she's very, she's, you know, she's got a mouth on her, which is, you know, <laughs> she says that, you know, she doesn't read her old books because it's like a dog sniffing old turds. <laughs> so there is that kind of element. It's like you're done with it. You made it. But then you also, you know, but then it's out there living in the world and like someone reads it for the first time and it's fresh for them. And it's fertilizer. You, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly, it's fertilizer. <laughs> it's not an old dog turd, it's right. fertilizer. Right. It comes into oh, something I'm real. Oh, I'm sorry I said turd no. on the, that's. Oh, the internet likes the word turd. <laughs> Especially referring to my first book. Yes. Um. My book is like an old dog. <laughs> Buy it for 10.99. No, yeah. Now, 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 be there, be there, be there. Uh, no, another, another question from the internet, um, from at Tuya, Tuya, Pioso, Tuya Pioso, I think it's Tuya, oh well, that person on the internet knows who it is, <laughs> says, how do you decide when a project is complete? I think that's a great question. How Poetry. do you decide when your project is complete? Because you could work a poem forever. A poem is never finished, it's only abandoned. And what that means is that you're never done, there's always a deadline. And I think deadlines are really important. Like I, I, and I know that's not a very sexy answer, but it basically comes down to, I really think you have to put some constraints on yourself. Yep. Otherwise it turns into a lifelong project, you know? And I mean, the work is always a lifelong project, you know? That is what I feel like is wildly misunderstood. I think the, the people who write code for a living, they understand that, and the, the, the moniker there is ship it. Like, what have you shipped? What do you say, you know what? It's good enough, gotta get out the door. Because it's really, it's, it's, that's what matters, is 
put is making stuff if, and moving if, on to the next thing and making the next thing. If my editor Bruce didn't give me like a deadline, these things wouldn't get finished. They just wouldn't, because I would go play Grand Theft Auto all day, or you know, I don't it know. Just came or out I'd yesterday. Endlessly. Yeah, it, it I know. Just came out five. I'm, I'm not buying it until the book's done, but you know. <laughs> But no, I mean, I just think deadlines are totally underrated. That's why, like, um, you know, with the poems, I got to get a poem done before Owen wakes up. You know, I put the kid <laughs> down, and it's like, you got to get something done before he wakes up. He sleeps for about an hour. That's all you've got, man. And that's, that's every day for me. And I think those, you know, I think those constraints make the work better. I don't think that it takes away from it. We had an interesting discussion that started last night that I put the brakes on because I wanted to bring it to the couch here today, and that was about verbs. Um, what verbs are you living right now? So can you talk to us about that? I thought that was just a really fascinating concept. It's just something, like I, like I mentioned before, uh, when you talk to a painter, painter is, uh, is, is their noun. I'm a painter, you know? But painting is the verb. Like what they do is they paint. And so for me, I think a lot of people want to be the noun without doing the verb. So a lot of people want to be a writer or an author. <laughs> author. Yes. And, uh, Very regal. You know, but they don't want to actually write. And for me. That's a problem, actually. I, that is a big problem. <laughs> but also, what can happen is when you become a writer, are you still doing the verb? Are you still doing the thing that you really love to do? Because when you become a professional um, from doing something that you love or some sort of passion, mm -hmm. there's a lot of administrative crap that comes with that. Yes. Like I could basically just, there's a difference between, I mean, you know this as well as I do. You could spend all, you could, and commercially, actually, business-wise, you could spend the rest of your life probably talking about creativity yeah. instead of actually being creative. <sighs> yeah, right. and you'd be dead, right? I, it, would, it, would, it would freak me out. I, I have just re recently come off a, a sort of a, I would call it a long hiatus speaking publicly because I didn't want to get caught in that trap. So I was yeah. on sort of a self-imposed lockdown of not out there talking but I'm just really, really focused on making. It turns out now that I'm highly motivated to share a passion with the world about creative education, a la Creative Live. Um, it's one of my passion projects. And the fact that our education system, in this country in particular, is totally broken and it's not able to create creativity within it, so we're gonna have to fix it. But my point back to you is it's it's only when you have something very important to say, whether you're talking about the ideas in your last book or whatever, that you really should become that person as an artist. If I was going to be prescriptive, it, it would be signing up for what you're saying now and be the verb. Yeah, and it's also like, don't spend all your time, as much as I want you to buy every book about creativity that I put out. Right. <laughs> you know, like you can't just read Steal Like an Artist 20 times over and over and over. You know, right. you gotta like read it and then you gotta go do the things that are in the book. I mean, there's a very, um, I think there, there's a number, any, people who buy self-help books are almost guaranteed to buy another self-help book within 18 months. The market knows that. <laughs> That's real. And it's like, you can't, I forget who said it, but someone was like, you know, you can't just subscribe to a running magazine. You gotta run, too, you know? And so, um, 
Which brings me back to a great line I heard one of the Williams sisters, not Serena or the, what's the other one? I'm sorry. The Williams, the tennis, yeah. So the one who's not famous, <laughs> there was an article about all those sisters and she said it's like training an animal. That's what their routine is like. It's like training an animal. And I just thought, I love that. Like, that's like training an animal. That's, you've got to do, and that comes back to, the, yep. you've got to do it every day. You've got to have your muscle memory. I'm making some sort of tennis motion here. Yeah, I don't good. know what this is. <laughs> but, I? you know, you, you got you, it's like training the animal. And you'll get out of shape. You've got to keep in shape. And that's why someone like Jerry Seinfeld, um, you know, he doesn't need the money. He doesn't, he doesn't have to do anything other than wax his Porsche, you know? <laughs> He's out there doing comedy clubs. He's yep. out there staying sharp because he wants to do the work, you yeah. know? And, and, that's, and to me, that's inspirational. It's the people who, I call it chain smoking. They just don't quit. They, take, they do one project, and they use the end of one to light the other. Woody Allen, you know, he types a screenplay. He goes off and films it. The minute he's done filming it, he writes another screenplay. On the same typewriter. The Woody Allen documentary is so good, by the way. Yeah, it He's is. used the same typewriter since he was like 16. Brilliant, just, brilliant you know. film. But. So let's play a game for just a second here. Okay. I'm going to look into your book here, Still Like an Artist, and I'm going to go in here, and I'm going to just grab something and uh, talk about it. And the thing that I just turned to is number seven, geography is no longer our master. I grew up, so I grew up in this really small town in southern Ohio, and all I ever wanted to do was get out of there, you know? All I ever wanted to do was get out of Ohio and go somewhere where something was happening. And now I live in this kind of hip city. I live in Austin, Texas. You know, everybody's like, oh, Austin, you know, great, you know, and, and I Is do, it weird to live in a town with oh, the stupid. same name it's so dumb. as you? It's, it's, you know? I'm Seattle Jarvis, signing my, off. No. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> and I like to say, I, you know, I, I will say that Austin was a family name before Texas was a state. Wow. So let's, yeah. You're old. I think, well, actually, your family yeah. is old. <laughs> I, think, I think, you know, if my mom had known, you know, that I would move somewhere, a city that shared my name, she'd look like name me Cincinnati or yeah. something. You know? But um, uh, so, so all I wanted to do was, I, you know, I, and now I live in Austin, Texas, and it's like this oasis of hip, creative people, you know? I'd say 90% of my peers and the people I take inspiration from don't live in Austin, Texas. Yep. They're all, they're in my Twitter feed, they're in my Google Reader, they're in my email. Like, the world is just, you are just not restricted to your geographical scene anymore. And one, uh, I think in parallel with that is you're not restricted to be in the same uh, industry. You're not restricted to take inspiration. In fact, most of my oh. top inspirers are not photographers. And I get asked that in interviews all the time. Who's your biggest inspiration? What photographer do you look up to? And, and no disrespect to the masters. I have a huge amount of respect. Right. But I take my cues from the artists of the 60s, 70s, 80s in New York where they were reinventing art while they were making it like taking the Brillo box and taking it out of the grocery store and putting it in the gallery. That's reinvention. There's sort of a meta quality to that. And I think yeah. like, artists and creatives all over the world are tapping into that. And it's a great way of, of, of being different. I mean, I don't hang out with other poets. That sounds horrible to me. It's, right, there's not you enough. Know? Yeah. I mean, I've met a lot of poets and a lot of writers, and you really don't want to hang out with a lot of them. I mean, they're all like hunched over in their, 
You know, like that's why I like, I mean, I love hanging out with filmmakers and, and like musicians. And I think that's another way to keep it really fresh is to steal from people in other disciplines. Definitely. You know, right. and that's, a, that's, you always, it's always about the depth and breadth of your influences. It's about how widespread they are and how deep you can drill down into them. Yeah, do you allow yourself the freedom to follow rabbit holes when you're researching? Like, do you grab onto one thing and, like, you know, like the internet's famous for doing this, like you click on a picture of a cat and then it goes to a picture of another cat, but then somehow you end up on a Mori Povich segment and then, like, do you, <laughs> do you allow yourself to follow the, you know, the unknown? I will be honest with you, I did a lot more of that when I sat at a desk nine to five. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, Every, my life is such a struggle to get anything done now. I'm a stay-at-home dad. I do that part-time with my wife. And um, it's, I need more of that. That's actually why I'm yeah. up here. I'm actually up here. I mean, I'm up here because you invited me. <laughs> but I'm also I'm going to a conference for the first time in Portland, and I'm not speaking. And I can't remember the last time I did that. But I'm, I'm in this phase now where it's like I'm finishing up this third book, and I'm ready to do the rabbit holing again. Yeah. You know, I'm ready to fall down the rabbit holes and find the new thing. And I think that's, you gotta give yourself time. Headroom and time to yeah. be able to explore is mission critical for creativity. It's so important. Mission and, critical. and I mean, you know, I think it was Einstein who said, <laughs> <You were just laughs> every like... time I say, I, you know, let me just pull some other quote out. <laughs> you know, I think it was Einstein that said, creativity is the residue of time wasted. Wow. And time, time is really the thing I think I'm the most obsessed by because it's the finite material that we're really working with. We all, and death and deadlines. Yep. You know, that's death just. Death and deadlines. Death and deadlines. Important that's, for creativity. That's, that's what you're up against. I have the same question as at Jimmy Film on Twitter, which is do you have a specific daily routine? Yes. You don't have to look over there. I'll, I'll oh, ask. okay. Yeah, you're you look at me. Um, or these guys. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. The, that's the internet, though. You can look in this room where those lights are. <laughs> Ooh, the internet. Looking good. Um, I have a very specific routine, and it's very much dominated by um, I get up in the morning, I make breakfast for my uh, wife and my son. We go on a long walk together. Uh, I hang out with Owen a little bit, check Twitter. Megan and I get showers. I'm telling you, this is boring. Every day. It's the same, and um, and we put Owen down for the nap. I do ten minutes of meditation, which we didn't get to talk we about. We should talk about that. Um, ten minutes of meditation, and then I do that poem I was talking about. And then by that time, Owen's probably up, and then uh, we hang out a little bit, have lunch, and then I get two to five every day. Megan watches Owen from two to five every day, and that's my time to make something happen, like for the book. Um, and then after five o'clock. It's hang out with the family, and then we put Owen down, and I hang out with Meg a little bit. We Sometimes we work in the office together. I'll answer email, and then I read or watch Netflix or whatever. That's it. That's every day. It's not glamorous. No, no, but I, it, well, that's I like every day, though. That there's something that's what I appreciate is that it's it's every man, it's every woman. Like we're brushing teeth and pulling our pants on yeah. the same way, and. And uh, the ability to create a little, what I think that does, and this is, I was historically had been very uh, rigidly against schedules because I somehow thought it limited my creativity. I wanted to be able to just, you know, run around like a chicken with my head cut off. But what I found, I think they call this growing up. I'm not sure. I haven't figured it out <laughs> yet. But, yeah. uh, what I found is that I, I don't, I don't 
like rigid anything, but general sort of patterns for me are great because they free me up. I don't take meetings before noon. I just don't do it because it sets my day on somebody else's program. And I'm gonna, if I'm going to pick up the phone and be on a conference call with the blah and the blah, then it just, like, that is the thing that sets the tone for my day. And I want to be in control. So I, I try and operate like that. And it has, it, schedules have given me more freedom creatively. Protecting the time is really your job. Like, for me, um, uh, I have to defend that two to five time with my life. And if I let someone schedule a call with me, or I get on the phone, or I answer email, I haven't done my job. Because yeah. my real job is to keep that time clear and to sit my ass in the chair and make something happen. Right. That's my real job. I have a confession. Sure. So I, and I want to know how you deal with this, I have a lot of inbound communication. Yeah. Uh, I have an autoresponder set up my email because I can't possibly do it. Yeah. And my particular feeling is that the people pay attention to what it is that I'm doing because of the other stuff that I do, not because I'm a great emailer. So how do you balance the fact that it's, it's very empowering and exciting and inspirational to communicate with the people that like what you're doing, yeah. but at the same time, it is a massive distraction from doing the thing that you see the irony here. So this, how do this you handle that? This is such an important question. I mean, for me, the gauge is always be as generous as you can and selfish enough to get your work done. And this what, guy is just full of it. <laughs> it's like it's like full of tweet, it. tweet, it's tweet. I mean, full yeah. of it, full of the full like of the, the, the machine. I'm going to call you the quote machine, the soundbite machine. Well, this I'm is, a writer, man. I sit around and make sentences. <laughs> you make That's jingles. my job. Well, yeah. <laughs> so I'm thinking um, about changing careers. Then this is amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I had my life change, and if, if you go on my website and just Google the artist who changed my life. Um, I had an artist actually change my life. He, he, I wrote to him when I was like 13. And he wrote me back this like 15-page handwritten letter. It's all up on my website. You can see it, and it really changed my life. And that, that I actually got to meet him on book tour last year. Um, I saw that photograph of uh, you guys standing there. Yeah. So like, this is a really it hits close. It cuts close because my life was really changed by someone sharing their secrets with me and opening up and making me feel like I was someone who could do the work too. Yep. That's what the books are for now for me. That's why I write the books. And that's why I'm not so good at checking my email because if I work hard on the books, that's my, that's my letter to you. That, that, if I do the books right, they're, they're just like that letter I got when I was 13. And they, they make, and if I, so I can't answer my email now. When, when the 15-year-old emails me, you know, I try as much as I can to Same. say thanks and, and to make that connection. But the books are what is supposed to do that now. And that is just a question of scale. Yeah. Because, you know, when I wrote to that artist, luckily, luckily honestly, email wasn't really around. Yeah. He didn't have an email. So I had to write a hand. I had to do my ransom note font <laughs> letter and, and like, you know, doodle and send it to him in the mail. And there was a more human connection there. The, the, you know, email's so, I mean, people don't even spell check stuff that they send me. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, everything's just so dashed off. And, uh, but, I, but I think that, that's the thing is like, you, I, I feel like there's only, again, death and deadlines. And there's only so much we can do, so you just have to maximize what you're doing. And if that means, you know, Neil Gaiman, he talks about, I'm not a professional email responder. Yep. I'm a writer. So all the time I spend 
answering your email, I could have been doing the thing that you really love about me. Yeah, that's basically my sort of rote answer yeah. whenever I can't get yeah. to something. Yeah, and I think it's a good one. And it's the only human one we can deal with. All right, I'm going back to the book here. Just randomly flipping. I saw a dark <laughs> page. Side projects and hobbies are important. We've sort of we touched on this. We kind of already talked yeah, about that. Sort of, so I'll move <laughs> on here. And this is while the folks in the live studio audience are getting their questions queued up, because I'm going to go to them okay. in a second. Get yourself a calendar. Yeah. Um, what's, up, what's up with that? This is something I stole from Jerry Seinfeld. He, Jerry Seinfeld gets a wall calendar for the year. And what he does is he writes every day. He writes jokes every day. And when he does his joke writing for the day, he makes an X in the box. The next day he gets up, he writes his jokes, he makes an, an X in the next box. And his job, again, it's about redefining your job. His job is not to make brilliant jokes. His job is to get that X checked and to not break that chain. And so for me, when you're doing creative projects, it's very much about getting, breaking it down into daily chunks, things that you can get done, and checking the boxes. And that is not what anybody wants to hear. That's no. what I, I find when I'm talking to, to people who are, they're, they're trying to make a creative career happen. They don't want to hear that, but that is the honest to God truth. That is the, that's sort of the ditch digging that is yeah. absolutely required. Ditch digging is good. It's not sexy. It's not it's sexy. It's not sexy work. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, I would love to drink beer and play Grand Theft Auto all day. Yes. I would. And if I, I mean, Actually, more than that, what I'd really like to do is just read books all day. If I had just had a life where someone paid me to go to the library every day and read books, I would do it. I would. But it's like I have to do this work. you know. And so it, it all becomes about death and deadlines. Death and deadlines. Now we're going back to the in-studio audience. We've got a handful of questions here. We've got to get you all a mic. We're going to right here to the front row. You're actually on Creative Live tomorrow, aren't you? All right. <laughs> we'll give you a little plug later. Uh, Take it away. What, what's your question? Yeah, I have a very interesting question for you. So I, I can relate greatly to the whole sharing. Actually, um, you, you inspired all the, I do a lot of behind the scene videos and everything. But the, the problem that I've been encountering, and I, and I think it's a little bit different for you, is that when you share all your poems uh, on a daily basis, you're reaching the audience that you're trying to sell your book to. Okay. What happens if, in my case, I'm sharing, so I have a lot of photographers following me. They're semi-professionals. They like what I do. The sharing is great because it's, it's getting reached out. But the audience that I'm trying to reach is not the photographer, it's the art directors, you know, the editors. So I'm, I'm building this great following. I have the blog, I have the Facebook, I have all that social media, and it's yeah. been getting my work out there. But it's not the attention that I'm trying to get. So That's interesting. And you don't think that like, what you're sharing is reaching... So the problem is, is that the, the stuff you're sharing isn't reaching the people that you want to reach. Is that, that really the problem? It, it reaches the people that I want to reach because, like you guys are all saying, it's extremely gratifying yeah. because you're, you're out there inspiring people and you're reaching them and you feel that what you're doing has worth and has value in it. Mm -hmm. If anything, that's probably the best feeling ever. Yeah. But you also need to look, you make a living. Yeah, totally. Right? So you need, to, you need to be able to make those, the, the connections with the people who are actually going to be bringing you the money. And I enjoy yeah. teaching for free. I, I, I mean, I have the blog, I don't have any advertisement on it. I got about 30,000 people coming on it a month, which is great. But these are people that are, are generating money. Customers. Right, they're not my customers. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll. Could you turn them into your customers? <laughs> <laughs> so, if, 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 I don't know. Um, I'd like to respond because as a photographer, I get that. I've been to, oh, you're such a good marketer because there's a huge social following here. 
And my response has always been, yeah, like, but I can't remember the last time one of the photographers who subscribes to my email newsletter wrote me a $50,000 check to do a photo shoot in Iceland. Yes. And I just, I can't remember because it doesn't ever happen. There's this great, like, departure, however, which is that work that you put out there percolates out into popular culture. And it's popular culture discovery that I feel like the art directors and the people who, are, who do write the checks that enable me to have a living. That happens the same way as and through that same mechanism that all the other photographers get inspired. Because with, if, if an art director is, they are going to take a lot more pride in discovering you than picking your portfolio out of a pile of 10 portfolios that's brought into the agency to show the work. Because if they connect with you, even through the channels and the information that you're sharing, if they connect with you in that way, there's this authentic thing that they want to connect with you. And you don't need 500 clients a year to have a successful year. You need 50, right? So just think of the, of the 30,000 people that come there every month, do the math, we've got 360,000 people, and this is fudged, I, I get it, but, and, <laughs> and you need 50 of those. So as soon as you try and appeal to everybody, you, try and, you end up appealing to nobody. So my only advice in all this is make sure that what you're sharing isn't just the, the sort of the behind the scenes stuff that appeals to broadly to your industry, but show work. Show work and show that you can think differently. And, and that is one of the things that the art directors and the people who are gonna hire that you want to hire you are gonna gravitate to. So, I don't know, I feel like that's, that is a great segue. If that can, is why it's his show. <laughs> <laughs> this is a great way to segue into show your work, which is your next yeah. book, right? Yeah. So is what I'm saying, is, 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 can you legitimize that or can you uh, confront it? I don't think I need to legitimize it. I mean, I think that we're living in a world now where, uh, you know, as Cory Doctorow put it, it's like, People ripping you off or piracy or whatever is not your problem, it's obscurity. Like you want your stuff to just spread, he calls it the dandelion effect. Like you want your stuff to just be everywhere, you know, and that you want it to be copied and, you know. Remixed, yeah. Yeah, you want it to just be everywhere. And I, I, I mean, I really agree with Chase is, is that you just don't know where these people are gonna come from. Because a lot of them just come as fans. Yeah. You know, I mean, the, the way I met my, like the way I met my agent, we have, I have friends that have him as an agent, but the way I initially made the connection with him and asked him to help me turn steel into a book was he tweeted about my stuff. He just saw it somewhere. And he was just like, wow, this is a really great list. He saw it somewhere and tweeted about it. He saw he tweeted about it, and then there was this connection. Yeah. And of the 30,000 people that pay attention to him on Twitter, roughly, there's only gonna be 50 potential true customers or 50 book agents or whatever, but that's all you need. There isn't, like, you don't have, your particular line of work doesn't depend on, like, Lady Gaga selling CDs, right? I mean, but, but no, you no know, disrespect. Yeah, but you, you wanna know something Gaga. really funny, too? When this book came out, I, I emailed my agent. He probably, he's probably gonna kill me for saying this. <laughs> he's listening. But I, sure. I uh, actually he's not listening. He's at a meditation retreat, so we could talk about it. But no, um, well, yeah, after this book like came this, out, right? 
after this book came out, like I was, again, I was so dumb and callow. I'm thinking about your original question. I emailed him after I already had a book deal. And I was like, hey, uh, yeah, I realized I kind of need an agent and you know, I need help with my, and he sent me back this very business-like uh, email that was like, hey, look, kid, it's great. You do neat stuff, but like I make my living like doing book deals. And like I just, you better hope, basically, bas he basically said, you better hope to God this sells. And then come to see, come see me when the next book comes around. But I made that initial contact and was kind of primed in a way. Sure. But 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 again, he became a fan, and that's how I got him. And now he's like one of my closest advisors. You know, so it's all just about like pushing it. You know, it's all about putting the stuff out there. It's brilliant. Another another question from the in studio audience here. You've already had one. I'm not going to let you go again. <laughs> Come on, we're over on this side. We're going to go to the other side of the room. Thank you very much. Pass that mic right along and introduce us. Tell us who you are and what's your question for Austin. Um, I'm Sam. I work for a company here locally. We make camera gear. And cool. um, you were talking. Both of you guys were talking a little bit about schedules and but and a really important aspect being family. And I've heard in other conversations that people have online creatives how it's really important to include family. Was that always the case getting started? Like when you have to hustle early on and work crazy hours, did you have to do that, one? And two, in doing that, do you regret doing it and wish you had just kind of kept what you, or allowed, you, know, you can do now and started? I mean, it's, it is really important. How do you begin in that stage? Good question. This is a great question. I was really lucky when I was starting out. You know, I think a lot of us, when we think about art uh, and the artist, domesticity and a family seems to be opposite of the artist. You know, that that there's some like that they are mutually exclusive. I was really lucky when I was growing up, uh, uh, you know, in my early 20s, kind of, to come across some great. In a, Men in particular, because I'm a man and I was looking for that, that role model. Good husbands, good dads, who also did brilliant work. Brilliant work. And I think the guy that influenced me the most was this guy named George Saunders, who's an incredible short story writer. And this stuff is interesting, because you find out when you, when you, when you talk to George, he learned his style of being a good family. He, he reconciled being an artist and being a family man because his teacher was Tobias Wolf. And Tobias Wolf was his mentor. It's funny how this stuff gets passed yep. down and how important role models are. But to get back to your question, for me, it was always super important that I was just as good, that I worked on being a decent human being and a good husband way just as hard as I did on the work. Let's talk. Let's let's just have another sort of confession from professional artists to to people asking questions about it, which is, you can be the best in the world at what you do, but if you're a jerk, nobody wants to work with you. Yeah, and you might get a gig or two gigs or five gigs, but generally speaking, your career will be much shorter and much less successful if you're an ass. And the reality is, like in, in a photographer's uh, point of view, is that if you're going to go on a location shoot, you have to spend eight days sitting, standing this close to this person. And if you're a jerk, not going to spend time with you. So it's a little bit different from a, a writer's perspective. But generally speaking, agents, uh, yeah. managers, uh, fans, all, all that stuff, that, that is a part of the ecosystem that doesn't get the, that doesn't get talked about enough. It's the work has to be good. That is the get in the door. If your work isn't good, then you're not going to get there. 
or you're, then you're not going to sort of have yeah. uh, uh, classic success. Yeah. However, if you have good work and you're a good person, people want to share that work. People want to, to advocate on your behalf. You're creating a, an army yeah. rather than uh, nothing. My and you know, I say it in the book, it's like, marry well. That's just like the most important thing. I'm serious, I'm serious. Marry up. It's not, marry up, marry smarter, because who you marry, and this can even be your business transactions, right? Marry well doesn't just mean your spouse, it means who you do business with, who your advisors are. But for me personally, I mean, I hit the jackpot with my wife. I mean, I just, I she, is my, she is my, you know, the cool thing about being married to someone who's brilliant is that you've got two brains then. Yeah. You don't just have one, and it's a multiplied effect. But for me, you also, you know, when you do think about starting a lifelong relationship with someone, like, get some counseling. Talk about the big issues. Talk about your career. Yeah. Talk about, like, what's really important to you, you know? Because, like, my wife has always been my number one fan, and she deserves an editing credit on everything I do. I mean, she, God, she has to Definitely. see every, she has to hear every stupid, that those walks I was talking about, yeah. she has to hear every stupid idea, <laughs> every horrible, like, you know, uh, awful kind of, you know, second guessing, and just, right. she has all my neuroses piled on her all the time, you know, and, and that's part of, but she's so patient with me, yeah. and that's how the stuff gets done. My wife, Kate, is the same way. She here, but, she puts <laughs> up with all of the stuff, and ironically, she is at, I think, maybe even the same retreat as your agent. She's on an, <laughs> she's on an eight day, no talking. No talking retreat. retreat. Yeah, she's just, she is yeah. an amazing person, and the ability to, uh, to have a sounding board and to have a brain that's bigger than yours as your, your, your partner is, I, I can't. And this goes for, I think it goes for spouses, it goes for friends. You know, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. Some of you just started sinking into yourself a little bit. <laughs> um, like, surround yourself with great people. I feel like yeah. that's a really, you know, agents, managers, friends, peers. Uh, I think that's a huge, huge key to creativity, so. But basically, um, I think, you know, to go back to the original question, which is balancing, you know, that fan, it's always, I personally, you know, there's a horrible quote from Faulkner. <laughs> Faulkner, who, you know, don't take cues from Faulkner, for God's sake. He said, So don't take this advice. You know, but. he said, Faulkner said something horrible, like, no one remembers Shakespeare's daughter. And I just think that's the worst quote I've ever heard, <laughs> you know? Because I think that life, there are ripple effects, and I think that, one, you know, what could be more important than, you know, than making sure that your kids are fed and they're loved and your spouse is taken care of? I mean, that, that to me is always number one. And someone, someone said, um, who, was, who was saying, someone said recently, you know, some artist I was reading an article with, he said, I don't want to die alone. If you think your work is going to be your work is ultimately not going to be the thing on your deathbed that gives you comfort. It's going to be the people in your life. That is a fantastic place to wrap this up. I got to put a bow on this thing. It has been an absolutely wonderful experience. I owe a huge debt of gratitude to you, my friend. Thank you so much for enlightening us to everything in your world. And I bid you many thank yous. Thanks, man. Thanks for Austin having me. everyone. <laughs> All right, that about wraps it up. But uh, hey, before you bounce, two quick things. 
Um, actually, I'm going to go three quick things. Thing one, A, thank you so much for being a part of this community. And I'm not quite sure how you, you landed on this podcast. It doesn't matter to me. The fact that we're all in this together and that we're able to have a conversation is awesome. I feel uh, honored to be in your ears right now and that uh, you've paid attention to what I've been doing, what Creative Live has been doing for some time. And whether it's been a day or 10 years, I just want to say thank you. It's also really important to know on the backside of that that I, I do a lot of responding to comments. So hit me up, on, you know, direct message me on, on Instagram or Twitter or at me. I try and respond as much as possible. So let's have a conversation that transcends me just being in your ears here. Let's try and do it some, somewhere out there in, on the internet land. That's thing one. Thing two, again, I'm not quite sure what channels you pay attention to me and my work, but please go check out. I'm at Chase Jarvis or slash Chase Jarvis or whatever on all the platforms. And it's really important to me. Also, if you wouldn't mind checking out Creative Live, it's something that not only myself, but 120 other committed hardcore badass people come to work every day uh, to build the place where creators and entrepreneurs learn. So check that out. They're just slash Creative Live or at Creative Live all over out there on the internet. All right. Until again, uh, probably tomorrow. I hope I'll hear you. I'll be in your ears maybe tomorrow and I'll look for your comments on the internets. Bye.